it's one thing to invent, but it's also another thing to promote your invention, I suppose. She was, she was a very good entrepreneur and promoted her inventions and her ideas very well. Creativity, ideas and passion. Welcome to the Girls Invent podcast. In this series, we talk to amazing women who, when challenged, have successfully reinvented themselves to take on what life throws at them and build truly authentic lives. At Girls Invent, we also run an inventing and business development program that enables girls to create unique product ideas and turn these into successful businesses. Here is your host, Taya Marie. Welcome back to the Girls Invent podcast series. It's Taya Marie here, your Girls Invent host for today. Today's guest is Loretta Smith. Thank you for joining us today, Loretta. Ah, thanks for having me on, Taya. Thank you, Loretta. Loretta has had a very interesting, diverse background, including secondary teaching, a youth arts worker, research consultant, case manager, and a team leader in disability, mental health, and aged care. Would you please tell us a little bit about your career and your journey to becoming an author, Loretta? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I, I guess it's always been one of my passions. I've always been into creative stuff. So um, I'm also a musician and I've always loved writing and it's something that actually our whole family, if any of us have a go at it, we're pretty good at it. So, um, yeah, I've always written and I've got lots of, of short stories and half-baked plays and, uh, yeah, all sorts of bits and pieces that I've written over the years. And uh, it was probably about 18 years ago now, got my cut and uh, I almost got it published. Penguin was really interested in it. And then for a few reasons, they, they finally decided not to go ahead with it. But it gave me the confidence for, that um, publishers were actually telling me, look, you can write. And if you have anything else that you want to show us, do. And so when I came across Alice Anderson's story, it just really struck me. And one, I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard about her before. And two, I couldn't believe that no one else had actually followed up and written her full story. So, yeah, it kind of landed in my lap and I ran with it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. What about her really sparked your interest to write the book? Well, the fact that uh, she was a young woman that way back uh, just after, well, during the First World War, it was 1917 when she started her business and she then built her garage and officially opened her garage in 1919. But to see such a young, slight um, woman, she, she wasn't very tall and she just had this brilliant mind and to actually run a motor garage which was you know very much a, a male thing and to to actually then decide to only employ other women and succeed in that at such a young age i was just absolutely fascinated by her um i'm not i'm not particularly a rev head but i've in in my research i've also become very interested in cars and road and bridge building and how our cities and towns were planned and all of that stuff which I had to research as well so I've always loved researching things even when I was at school and then at uni so 
it, it was just um, such an exciting thing to jump down all these rabbit holes and actually find out as much information as I could about her. Loretta, did you have any challenges while researching? Yeah, so challenges with the research. Uh, the fact that um, everyone had passed away because Alice died, died in, in the 1920s, uh, I, I couldn't find anyone that had directly known Alice until I came across a woman in her late 80s who actually just mentioned to me she lived in the city of Burundara and Alice's garage was in Kew that covers that area and she just said to me that her mother had been the, um, the driver and the mechanic in her family because she worked for Alice Anderson and at four years old this elderly woman, Mary, actually remembered meeting Alice. And on a, not only did she meet Alice a few times, but she actually was allowed to get into the back of the car a few times when Alice was um, picking up clients and driving them to places. And so she was able to give me a feel for her impression of Alice. But other than that, it was all secondary information. Did you find it difficult to balance work and life as you did the research and writing a book because I'm sure it would be hard to have it all come together trying to balance life with it yeah de definitely I mean when you when you commit to a writing project and you're determined to get to the end it's it's one hell of a journey and I think um no I mean people can teach you how to research but no one can really teach you how to write. Um, I think reading and writing is the only way that you get there. Uh, you can certainly do workshops and I did but I think it's it's like anything learning how to do it is putting in the 10,000 hours to be as good as you can possibly be with it. So there is that determination that you've really got to um, stick to the project and do something around it either research or writing most days because you can't just wait around for inspiration. But uh, by the time I got to research and seriously look at writing um, Alice's story, I'd actually given up work because uh, I've got a, um, a genet rare genetic bone condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. And I'd actually had a fall not long before I'd found out about Alice. I'd actually tripped over my dog's lead. But because my bones break easily, I, I'd, fractured, I'd put a small fracture in my spine, which meant the case management job I had at the time, which I was helping people in and out of cars and putting, you know, wheelchairs and things in and out of cars, that's not something that I could do. So I took three months off to heal and in that time I got so involved in Alice's story, I actually resigned from my job and uh, went on to the disability pension, which I've always been eligible for but always written, um, uh, sorry, worked uh, as often as I could for as long as I could but unfortunately in that time was um, in that 10-year period uh, my body physically deteriorated and I needed a lot of surgery on and off so rather than fitting my writing in around work I was fitting in my writing around my disability and having to be in and out of hospital and be on strong pain medication and having lots of anaesthetics and recovering from surgery. So that was probably a particular challenge that I had that was more than just a challenge with fitting in general life and work around that.
Yeah, of course. I can imagine that would have been really challenging and quite difficult as you were riding as well. Yeah, well, sometimes I'd fall asleep in front of the computer um, <laughs> and then I'd wake up and think, oh, gosh, how long had I closed my eyes for? And it was because of the heavy medications I was on um, because I did have strong pain uh, at the time. So, yeah, I actually had a joke with my publisher and said, I hope I can write my next book as successfully as this one because I, I was on, like, morphine a lot of the time when I, was, when I was writing it. We both had a bit of a giggle about that. But um, really, um, I went through some pretty heavy periods when I was quite depressed with the condition that I had and I wasn't necessarily always going to have successful operations and my mobility became more limited over that time. In fact, there was a time when I was told I'd never walk again and I defied the odds there. I, I do still walk, but with crutches now. Uh, and, um, oh, gosh, I've forgotten my train of thought now. But, yeah, it was. It certainly was um, a big challenge. And it was Alice. Getting back to Alice as having something to do as being determined to finish her story and feeling very responsible for telling her story because she was a real person. I wasn't making her up. That... Um, Really, sometimes she kept me going when I might have otherwise just given up because, yeah, I did go through some pretty difficult times physically and emotionally with with um, the condition that I was dealing with. I can imagine. Was it Alice's spirit that felt like you connected to? Definitely. I think um, like a lot of... Uh, writers say that you really need to fall in love with your subject to have the passion to keep going because it's it's a tough thing. I mean, my, my book is 100,000 words and, you know, that's a million edits later, a lot of edits I did myself and then with the professional editors through the, the publisher and that, that takes a lot. So you don't really want to um, fall out of interest with, with your subject. So the more I learned about Alice and the more I tried to make her come alive again on the page from way back, you know, uh, two centuries ago um, and into last century, uh, I just really got uh, obsessed with kind of um, doing the best I could to make her come alive on paper and have people really interested in the things that I was interested in about her was that she was so young and so intelligent and had such initiative and such grit and determination. And she was also such an incredible entrepreneur and an inventor. And she also wrote about um, motoring for, for, to encourage other women to, to drive as well in the time. So she was a real renaissance woman in, in my mind. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, the, listeners, the listeners may not have read your book, so mm. could you just give a quick, brief descript description of the main events? Because we obviously um, know that Alice is the main character. Yeah. Just mm. give more a description, thank you. Yeah, okay. So the book's called um, A Spanner in the Works, The Extraordinary Story of Alice Anderson and Australia's First All-Girl Garage. Um, and I use the word girl even though they were women because they were called the garage girls. That's how everyone saw them. And so I, I, I start with Alice's early life, which includes 
very much her family. She was um, the, the middle child of six children and her whole family were very interesting as well. And her father was a brilliant engineer who actually had an engineering business with John Monash. And he actually let um, her father, Joshua Thomas Noble and Anderson, known as JT, actually lectured at Melbourne University and taught John Monash engineering. And they became friends that way and went into business together. And so, um, but, but her father was a, not a good business manager and John Monash found that out fairly early on. He was a really great ideas person and he was very good at um, getting contracts signed. But in terms of managing business, he was shocking. And he was always investing in things and setting up new business ideas that nearly always failed. And so um, the, the family kind of went from, because they were an upper middle class family, but they went from riches to rags to riches, back and forth. And for the bulk of Alice's childhood from about 10 years onwards, she grew up in the country under very, um, in relative poverty because the family um, went overseas to the mother country because both her parents came from Northern Ireland. And, uh, but the father was expecting to get work over there and uh, he just wasn't able to, to get the sort of work that he wanted. And so by the time they came back 12 months after, they, they had nothing to their name and they had to go and live in, in the bush in Narbathong, which is in the, um, the Yarra Valley ranges, uh, not far from Hillsville, right in the middle of nowhere. And it was a summer cottage that they just built out of the, the, the trees that were there really roughly. And so they were living like pioneers um, because they had no running water, they had no electricity at that time, and um, they were used to, uh, the mother was used to having, uh, family was used to having governesses and nannies and cooks and, you know, a boy for the garden and all that sort of stuff, and all of that fell away. And so Alice actually grew up as a tomboy, learning how to, to ride horses and to shoot and to fish and to um, do lots of the work around um, the property because they had um, some sheep and some cows and, uh, uh, yeah, she had to learn how to mend fences and all sorts of things. So she, she grew up in relative poverty, but she actually loved that lifestyle. And uh, that's, that's a very interesting part of her childhood. So I explain that really as a, a girl's own adventure, which it was, and then as she becomes an adult, it's really a woman against the odd story. So she gets involved in being interested in cars and mechanics because of her father having that engineering background. And the one um, successful business he had for some time, really only because of Alice, was the Black Spur Motor Service that he had in Hillsville. And he set up a transport cooperative where um, there were just, there were, uh, buses that were just coming um, into, into fashion that uh, weren't horse-driven uh, because we're talking the early days, we're talking around 1915. And so the, the roads were very dangerous, particularly the Black Spur uh, because it's a very mountainous area and the, the roads weren't properly made in those days. And so on the Black Spur particularly, there'd be at least one casualty uh, fatality a year um, and with the horse-drawn charabanks as they were called and then they had the motorised charabanks 
that um, uh, JT got uh, involved with and uh, set up the cooperative with. And so Alice was actually fascinated by all of that. So she'd learnt um, bookkeeping at school. And so when he set up the motor service, she became the office girl, but um, she hated staying in the office. She wanted to be next door where the mechanics and drivers were and she nagged them until they actually gave in and taught her um, how to drive. And uh, they said they'd only teach her how to drive if she could put a motor, um, uh, pull it apart and put it back together again. And they thought that might deter her, I suspect, because they didn't think a, a young teenage girl should be learning how to drive, particularly in that area, which was so dangerous. But she 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 took up the challenge and being the brilliant good young girl that she was, she learnt that very quickly and they were really in admiration of her in the end and taught her how to drive and she ended up being recorded as the first um, girl or young woman to, to drive over the Black Spur, not just in an ordinary car but in a giant bus, um, which they called charabacks in those days. Loretta, you mentioned Alice was an inventor. A girls invent we support girls to become inventors. Yes. Did you find any ideas from Alice's life that our students may find helpful? Well, I think that the invention she was most famous for was what she called the get out and get under. And it was, um, we're very familiar with it now. It's a trolley on wheels where you lie on it as a mechanic and roll under the car and fix the car that way or check check for, you know, whatever's going on underneath the chassis. And so uh, she actually invented one of those and she was the first person to do that. And uh, she painted it for Australia but not for overseas. And unfortunately, a um, an American businessman walked into her garage uh, one day and actually saw her using this trolley, which she actually had um, made of wood and it had a leather headrest and it could also fold up because her idea was that not only did she use it in her garage to roll under cars and look at what was happening with them, but she also um, you built it for women that could put them in the cars, fold it up. So if they ever broke down or had any trouble on the road, they could actually um, pull out this get out and get under the car and have a look at what was going wrong because in those days there weren't garages, um, you know, around and, and if Melbourne was a very small city even though it was the capital of Australia. It, you only had to drive a couple of miles and you're out in the bush and so you really, if you were driving, you really had to learn how to manage your own car and to fix it if you could. So um, she was particularly interested in women not getting their clothes dirty uh, when they tried to get under the car to have a look at what was going on. So I think that was the most amazing thing. And it's so unfortunate that that awful businessman just stole her idea and he called it the creeper. He took it back to America and called it the creeper and he um, made a lot of money out of that. And if it, Alice had patented it worldwide, she would have made a lot of money out of it. So that was very unfortunate for her. But what an amazing... Thing. And it sounds so simple these days, like, yeah, why wouldn't you have something like that? But she was the first person to think of it, build it and promote it. So good on her. There's another thing that she also invented that um, 
we don't have a picture of, but it, there's a description in the magazine, and it was called The Rady Waiter. And one of the things that Garrard just did in those days was to take um, people on, on motor tours because uh, wealthy people didn't drive their own cars in those days. They had chauffeurs. And so Alice's um, garage girls also dressed up and were trained as chauffeurs or chauffeuses, as they were called, um, the female version of a chauffeur. And uh, they would dress up in uniform and they would take people on tours. And so the radiator was something that she designed that would actually heat up a drink on the motor as they went driving along. So they would they would go for a drive and this radiator would, would um, be heated up by the engine and uh, they were actually able to pour whatever the tea or coffee or hot water or whatever it was um, when they stopped and had a picnic or whatever. But um, I, that idea didn't take off for very long, but it was a very clever invention and who knows why it didn't take off. It, it might have been that maybe the, the, the drink smelt a bit of petrol or something coming off the, the engine or maybe it just didn't fit particularly well around um, certain engines, I don't know. But she also had her own, um, before 1925, uh, most cars had cloth hoods. Um, they weren't covered um, uh, with, with a, a metal roof like we have now. Um, after 1925, most of the cars were what they called closed cars. But uh, before the mid-20s, uh, Alice had a giant sewing machine in her garage and she designed what she promoted as the Anderson Hood, which was apparently very popular as well. So she could put her hand to almost anything and she just had a very inventive brain and she was very good at, um, you know, it, it's one thing to invent, but it's also another thing to promote your invention, I suppose. She was, she was a very good entrepreneur and promoted her inventions and her ideas very well. Another thing that wasn't specifically an invention of an object, but she was the first person to come up with the idea to bring your car in regularly and have a, a, an all-over service. Um, and the, the male garages were very jealous of her because she did have these brilliant ideas, and I'm sure they copied her, but they didn't come up with it first. She was the first to come up with And Now we, we, we do that now. You'll have, you'll send your car in regularly for a, a once-over service, and I'll just check that everything's working well and change the oil and do whatever. And that's what she did for, for every so many miles. She would encourage um, her clients to come in and do that and so that their car was always running well and didn't um, have any unexpected problems that were huge problems because they'd have that regular service. Well, Loretta, we've really appreciated you coming in and talking to us today. You're Was there anything else you'd like to add? Um, well, there is some mystery to to Alice's story, which is is very sad. In that she she um did the, this was her idea of a holiday, which I find amazing. Is that she drove a 1926 Baby Austin, which is a tiny tiny car. It weighed less than the uh, Model T Ford, which was the the smallest car before then. And she drove it all the way to Alice Springs, uh, and she got sponsored for that trip because it was the first car of its size to travel on unmade road through the desert, uh, which was very risky to do. And she went with her friend, Jessie Webb, who was the 
first um, female professor at Melbourne, history professor at Melbourne University. And they, they survived that trip well. And she was interviewed for a, a, from the Herald newspaper when she came back a few days later, but less than a week before she came back, uh, before she returned, she was found dead in the back of her garage. Um, and she had a, um, a, she'd been shot in the head. And so she was fatally wounded in the garage. And oh, so um, I had, there was an inquest and I had to really research all of that. And I've um, pretty much come up with what would have happened. Uh, some people might disagree with me when they read the book, but um, it's, it's pretty certain in my mind that that was the only thing that could have happened because the inquest, when I went through it, it, it had a lot of um, inconsistencies in it. And so it was very interesting to not only have Alice's amazing story, but to have this incredible mystery that I had to had to unfold as well. So that that makes the book very interesting as well, even though it was terribly sad that she died so young. But how amazing that in her 29 years she achieved so much as well. And she was known throughout all of Australia. She was a national treasure at the time. And when she did die that suddenly, um, she was on the front page of every newspaper in the country. Yes. That must have been a really huge part in your book, the death, and trying to undercover that. Um, it, well, it, it's it's a whole chapter, uh, and but it is it is quite shocking. And I was actually crying when I was writing it because it was so uh -huh. sad. And the the um, head of nonfiction, Sophie Hamley at at Hachette, um, who I ended up going with as the publisher, said that she knew that Alice was going to die, but she still cried reading that chapter because it, it was so sudden and so sad and so unexpected. And uh, there were rumours for years about what people thought had happened to her, that she'd um, committed suicide or that, you know, there were all sorts of rumours around that, that that live to this day. So I, I feel, um, as sad as it was, I feel really good that I'd, I'd researched it to the nth degree to really work out exactly what would have happened even though um, we don't they didn't have the forensics that they do now but um, yeah I'd be interested for people to know what they think about the conclusion that I, I came to in the book yes well thank you so much Loretta your story has been very inspiring and we loved having you thank you thank you so much um, We'll wrap it up. Mm -hmm. All right. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Girls Invent podcast. Please share if you would like to inspire young women to believe in themselves and go after their hopes and dreams.